What's up guys? Welcome back to Just Like Other Girls. I have a very important question for you to start this episode and that is, are you a Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, or Samantha? And I'm gonna bet a lot of you had a visceral reaction to that. Like I certainly know I am a Charlotte, obviously, but I do think that like we've all been asked that question or thought about that question so many times in our life that we all like kind of know the answer. And we probably know who in our friend group is who of the other characters, right? Like every time I'm in a group of friends, I'm like, all right, well, which one's, which one's the carry? You know, like always just trying to figure it out. And that is because Sex and the City is just an iconic piece of television, an iconic piece of pop culture. And something that I am never ever going to be tired of and because of that I just finished re-watching the series for I don't know like the seventh time probably in its entirety and I know it's not exactly timely because the series you know ended 20 years ago but I have thoughts I have thoughts and I want to talk about them and I just love this series and I'm excited to to unpack it a little bit with you guys here and now. I will say I am watching and just like that because I can't stop watching and just like that. I'm not going to say much more about it at this moment, but look, I think the show lacks some of the emotional truth, depth, connection that the original story has. So I, I to me, they're, they're kind of different. They're different beasts. I don't think of Anne just like that as being canon to the show. I also, I've only seen Sex and the City, the movie two once. So I also don't really consider that to be canon. Like to me, those are, they're almost like spinoffs in an, in an interesting way, instead of like continuations. I will say the Sex and the City movie, like the first one, I love that film. Like I deeply love that movie. It, I've always laughed because to me, the movie feels like a series of TV episodes put together over the course of two hours, right? It's almost like four separate 30 minute episodes. Um, but again, like when I'm talking about my rewatch and my experience and my feelings, I'm really, I'm talking about those six seasons of the show on HBO when it was, I didn't watch it when it came out. I was too young. I was far too young to be watching the show. There's some very graphic scenes in those in those episodes. And I watched it for the first time the year that I moved to New York as an intern to work at Cosmopolitan Magazine. So I was like, oh, I am Carrie Bradshaw. I am living this life. And since then I've watched it so many times. It's like such a comfort show of mine. I've watched it when I've been at very low points in my life, particularly when it came to dating and found a lot of solace in the show. I've also watched it at really wonderful high points in my life, like right now as I'm about to get married and found a lot of solace in what the positives that it has to say about relationships and friendships and romantic experiences and, and love. And I don't know, I just, this show, it's such a wonderful show. And I, it's fun because I have a handful of friends who love the show as much as I do, who have also gone through rewatching periods of it. And 
we talk about it together. And it's just, it's also funny because as I've watched it at each different point in my life, I take away something different from it. And sometimes I'm on different people's sides of different things than like, you know, as I get older, I can see Carrie's flaws a lot more clearly. And who, let me tell you, she has some flaws, but she's so charming and so real and so human. And I think those flaws are why we all just love her. That and Sarah Jessica Parker is like the cutest person in the entire world. I could watch her be Carrie Bradshaw for the rest of my life and, and be content with that. So I just finished literally like two days ago, the finale. So I watched the whole thing start to finish, uh, which I tend to do every couple years. And overwhelmingly, it is just a joy to watch. Even there are some heart-wrenching moments in this show, truly. But there is so much humor. There's so much fun. There's so much fantasy. For a show that is in so many ways so real, there's also a lot of like, nobody lives like that. And that's why it's fun to watch. It's like escapist, which is funny for me to say as someone who lives in New York, who at different points in my life was dating like all of these women who has a job very similar to Carrie's. Like it still feels like such an escape and a fantasy in some ways, if for no other reason than just like the clothing and the couture alone is just mind boggling to look at. But at the same time, as it feels very like neat and a story and like entertainment and you can sort of escape into it in that way, it's also so unbelievably real. And I can't tell you how many storylines I'm watching. I'm like, oh, I've been there. I've, I've been that character. I've lived through that. My friend lived through that. And it's just, it's just so much fun. What I love about this show is that it is both a show about romance and a show about friendship. And I think it's it's actually funny to me that they call it Sex in the City. And I get why they do that. And I know that at its time, I mean, again, I didn't watch it live, so I can't actually speak to it from personal experience. But from my understanding, it was incredibly revolutionary at the time to show these for 30 something women and talk about their sex lives. And obviously they show quite a bit of sex, but I don't actually think the show is about sex. The show is about relationships. If for no other reason than our main point of entry, our main character whose head we're in, Carrie, is such a romantic. And it's funny because I think Charlotte really gets pinned as the romantic throughout the series. And she is. Don't get, And that's why I am a Charlotte. You know what I mean? Like I'm always, always was looking for the fairy tale and the romance and whatever. But I also think that Carrie has so many of those elements to her as well. And the show, while there are obviously a ton of characters that are effectively one night stands, right? Because they come in and out for a 30 minute episode and then we never see them again in terms of like guys that the girls are dating. I do think that there are quite a lot of of longer relationships, obviously. I mean, Carrie and Big, Carrie and Aiden. Um, I'll get into this later when I, when I talk about all of the, the many boyfriends, but I do think that the show is actually about relationships and love more than it is about sex. And it's funny because in my rewatch of it, I keep saying it's funny, but it is. 
as I was rewatching, so I'm also watching in just like that. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about that, but something that I saw a lot of people talking about after the first couple episodes of this season of in just like that, when Carrie's podcast gets um, canceled because she won't do the ad or whatever, people are like, Carrie's kind of prude. And I remember thinking that I was like, yeah, for a sex columnist, she has a lot of boundaries, which I, I gotta love a boundary. I respect a boundary. But I think it's just funny because she's this like sexual anthropologist, as she calls herself in the pilot episode of Sex and the City. But in rewatching it, and maybe because that was in my head because of the end, just like that beginning of the this season, I was like, oh, Carrie kind of is prudish in some ways or comparatively to some of her colleagues and friends and counterparts and she does have a more traditional look at relationships and stuff so I just thought that was really interesting this is also the first time I've watched the show and been roughly the age of the characters so I related to it in a very visceral way the first couple times I watched it because I was dating in New York City and that is what this show is about. And now I'm relating to it in a different way because there are relationships aside. There are a lot of topics in this show about what does it mean to be a woman in your 30s? Are we invisible? Like seems to come up a lot, you know, and and 30-year-olds versus 20-year-olds and all of that. So that's been an interesting new perspective. I will tell you this, for 30-year-olds, those girls have a lot of stamina. And I'm not talking in the bedroom. I am talking about just like they have the ability to stay out past 11 p.m., which my friends and I certainly don't. So that I give them a lot of credit for. And it makes me feel like I should probably be out doing more like fun, cool things on a more regular basis. But alas, that is that is not the case. But it's a show about relationships, which we all love. Everyone loves a love story. That's why romantic comedies live on for so long. You know what I mean? We all we all love a will they, won't they? We have a couple of those in this series. That is obviously one of the places that the show shines. I think the other place, obviously, is that it's a show about friendship. And at more than one occasion, a character comes to the conclusion, maybe not in these exact words, but at least once in these exact words, that they are each other's soulmates and men are just the people that come and go in between. And sometimes it feels corny. You know, sometimes you're like, okay, okay, okay. Even at the end of, like, I think it's the penultimate episode, Big says to the to Miranda, Samantha, and Charlotte, he's like, you are the loves of her life. And a guy is just lucky he gets to be a part of it, or I'm probably butchering that quote, but he does say you are the loves of the, her life. And I think that that is really what the show is about. The show is not about sex. The show is not about relationships. The show is about female friendship and the power of that. And what I like about this show is that it doesn't shy away from some of the more difficult parts of friendship like there are episodes where these girls get in really big fights. There are episodes where they hurt each other and say things that are that are hurtful or take actions that are not exactly the kindest. And I talked about Carrie's flaws. Carrie is in some ways a pretty awful friend. 
in that she is very, she can be very selfish. This could also be because she is the main character of the series. So we do need to get her point of view the most frequently. So from like a writer's story perspective, that could be why. And it could also be why it isn't something that I noticed until a multiple rewatch because it's just, you know, now that I know the plot and I know where everything's going, I'm like, wow, Carrie, stop talking about yourself for like 10 minutes. But they call her out on it. There are multiple episodes where particularly Miranda, but Samantha does it too. Um, they're like, like the episode where Carrie just like is a terrible friend, like truly the worst when Miranda falls and she asks for help and she sends Aiden and then she comes over with like bagels, but doesn't bring the cream cheese. And Miranda's like, clearly this is just a Trojan horse to get in. So you could talk to me about your relationship with Aiden. And Miranda calls her out on it. And she's like, what the hell, Carrie? And I appreciate that because no matter how good of a friend you are, because in so many other ways, Carrie is a wonderful friend. She would do anything for her friends. She's always there for them. She she treats them like family. She She believes in them. There are a lot of really good qualities about Carrie as a friend, but no matter how good of a friend you are, you're going to have days where you become very selfish or I don't know. I, I just think that there is a true realness in the dynamics between these women. These women are also archetypes, obviously. We have conservative little Charlotte. We have sexy Samantha who just wants to fool around. We have work obsessed Miranda. And then Carrie is a little bit less archetypal, but she's sort of like the free spirit of the group, right? And in some ways. And I remember at one of my many rewatches being like, it's kind of unrealistic that these four women would be such good friends when like they are kind of, you know, ideologically and whatever. They're they're so opposite in so many ways. But in rewatching it yet another time, I actually am like, no, of course these women are friends because what the show does so brilliantly is yes, there are archetypes and these women fit into that. And I think that's intentional because they were trying to tell a story of different types of women dating in Manhattan. They are all also so multifaceted, which I think is like kind of, I think it could easily go missed. Because 90% of the time, Miranda's just saying, I have to work, I have to work, who cares about a man, I, I care about my job, I, I'd rather have a job than be a mother, blah, blah, blah. But then you get these glimpses of her missing Brady growing up and being sad about it, or falling in love with Steve and having to admit it, or, you know, I, I mean, they the whole pregnancy arc, like they give her something more to deal with than just... I'm a workaholic and same with Samantha because I think of all of them Samantha probably is the most like on paper one-dimensional but she is not she is so multifaceted and she's like empowered in a really awesome way and she has her own barriers that she has to let down and I just think it's really interesting and I think the dynamics between how these women interact with each other specifically you know, Charlotte to Miranda, those are like the two ends of the spectrum, right? And there are a couple storylines where we see them coming together, like the one where Samantha sleeps with Charlotte's brother, you know, and and how how can these two women who seem so diametrically opposed, 
have such a strong bond and such a strong friendship. And look, I think we've all been in groups of friends before and we all know that there are people in the group that at the onset aren't actually that good of friends with each other, right? They they happen to be friends with someone else in the group, the group forms, and then there's like, you know, two people that it's like, oh, they would never hang out on their own without us. But as a group grows over the many years that these four women have been friends, I I don't find it so hard to believe that two people that maybe weren't as close in the beginning become closer over time. So I think that this show, while it does idealize friendship into its most beautiful expression, right? Like the friendship that these four women have and the fact that it's the four of them and they're really kind of like through thick and thin together no matter what is maybe a little, not unrealistic. I think plenty of people have it, but it's like, again, the sort of ideal of what it could be. I also think that they're, they do show a lot of the realities of of friendship and, and dealing with when you guys are at different phases in your life. I think that is something the show does really expertly that I didn't realize among my first couple watches because I wasn't there yet. Like when I watched this show for the first time, I was still in college. Everyone I knew was in college. Like we were all going through the same thing. Now that I'm 30, I have a friend. I have friends with children. I have friends who are single. I have friends who are getting married. I have friends who aren't married. I have friends who are like killing it in their career. I have friends who are switching careers. Like we're all sort of at different paths. And I think this show, especially in the later seasons as Miranda gets pregnant and Charlotte can't get pregnant and Carrie gets engaged and then unengaged or Charlotte gets divorced. Like they're all sort of going through these big like tectonic shifts in their lives and figuring out what that means for their friendship and how they can be there for each other. I think one of the best episodes of this show, um, and I was talking to a friend of mine who we were just talking about how this is such a beautiful episode of TV, is the episode Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. That's the episode where Miranda discovers or at least tells everyone that she is pregnant and is planning to have an abortion, where Charlotte finds out she can't get pregnant um, in a very real way. And there's a tension between them because they're at such opposite places. And who hasn't felt that way with a friend, right? And we might not want to admit it to ourselves, but like I remember when I was really single and some of my friends were getting married, being so happy for them, but not knowing how to be around them because there was a jealousy or just like, not that I was jealous of them because I wanted them to have what they had, but it was just a reminder that I didn't have it. And so that's how Charlotte feels. And, you know, that's just such an amazing episode of television because you see Charlotte's path of going from like, I can't be around you right now to at the end when she comes over to console Miranda on the abortion. And then Miranda says, I'm having the baby. And and Charlotte says, I'm gonna cry just saying it. She says, we're having a baby. Cause they are, they're in it together, the four of them. And, and, and just like, there's a lot of unconditional love in this group, even though they go through moments of anger. Like in that episode, Charlotte is like, I can't be around you, Miranda. I have to get away from you. But she's so upset and Miranda follows her home a couple steps behind her. That is, that's a kind of friend that we all deserve. And I think that that is why the show 
is able to last the test of time and why women keep rewatching it and love it and why they're trying to bring it back within just like that because yes it's a show about relationships and like those are fun and we all like those but really the the relationship between those four women is something we all want in our lives and we relate it to the friends we have that are like that and we we just look to it with such I don't know it, it, it they really do a beautiful job of showing friendship it's also a fun show it is funny laugh out loud funny it's you can't believe that they're in these situations, but anyone who's dated in New York knows that for every situation you can't believe, five people have been through something worse than that. The clothes are just like absurd. Like the, the time that Carrie wears a belt with nothing, just like over her skin. Like that one I feel like lives in infamy, like anything Carrie wears. You're just like, what is happening? But you like believe it and it's fun. She wears all these incredible hats and you're like, oh my God, I would kill to wear that, but I can't. There are also some episodes that I think are like maybe a little too insane. Like when Carrie goes to Aiden's cabin and she like loses her damn mind. I'm like, girl, you're there for two days. Like that episode, every time I watch it, that's like maybe my least favorite episode because I'm just like, this is insanity. Like you can leave the island of Manhattan for four days tops. I know that like, it's not your steez necessarily, but like, come on. And she like screams at the squirrel and she like, <clears throat> I mean the, the iconic line of, I'll have a cheeseburger fries and a cosmopolitan. Like that is an amazing moment. But like that episode in general, there are times when I'm just like, Carrie is so over the top that you're just like, <sighs> but it's still fun. I will say Sex and the City gave me a lot of unrealistic expectations about a lot of things, you know, like being a writer and able to afford a one bedroom loft apartment in New York City that you could wear Manolo Blahniks around New York all day long and your feet would never get tired. There's a lot and people have talked about those, but of all the unrealistic expectations Sex and the City set for me, there is nothing to me more unrealistic than their portrayal of Fleet Week. Okay, I'm sorry. When I watched this show my first summer in New York City, I was like, oh wow, Fleet Week. It's gonna be like this amazing party. I can't wait. I do not know a single New Yorker who gives a rat's ass about Fleet Week. I do not know a single New Yorker who cares even a little bit that it's Fleet Week. I don't even know when Fleet Week is. And this has nothing to do with me not respecting men in service absolutely love that but like these parties and this idea of like I'm gonna sleep with a sailor and we're all gonna go like that doesn't happen that is fake news that is they needed it's also kind of like the trapeze episode like I think they were running out of like New York things and so they were like fleet week that's a New York thing it's not okay a New York thing is them walking down the street eating Tasty Delight or them waiting in line to get to a restaurant and the hostess tells them it's five hours and everyone in their party has to be there to be seated. Those are realistic. That's New York. And a lot of, there's a lot of New York that like I am not a socialite so I don't even understand like all them, like their club openings and all the things that they go to. Fleet Week, isn't it? Fleet Week ain't it. Like I am telling you as someone who lives in this city, I have never heard someone discuss Fleet Week, go to a Fleet Week party, 
be excited for Fleet Week, they made that up. So that is something I thought about. Um, another thing that I want to say, just because it's been on my mind for the past 15 years, um, when Steve and Miranda get married, does Brady's name become Brady Brady? I mean, I guess he's probably still Brady Hobbs, but I think about this a lot. Like that is when Steve was just like not involved in their family in any real way. And she named him Brady. That's like very sweet and cute. But like then he's his dad that he lives with who's married to his mom. And even if she didn't take his name, because we know Miranda did not take his name. That is so not in her character. That's weird, right? Like, it's weird to be named after your dad's last name when your dad is someone that is very much like a dad in your life that you see daily that is married to your mom. It's just bizarre. So I think about that more than I would like to admit that he is Brady Brady or Brady Hobbs Brady or Brady Brady Hobbs. I don't even know where the hyphen goes or anything about it, but like, I feel bad for the kid. No wonder. And then just like that, he has to go to therapy because his parents gave him the world's worst name. I feel bad for him. Okay, last couple things I'm gonna talk about. The ending. The ending of the show, in a lot of ways, the sixth season feels almost, it almost feels like a different show in some ways. It, it totally isn't. It's still Sex in the City. It still has all the flavor and the fun. Oh, I should also talk about how in the first season they did that thing where they like broke the fourth wall and they would like interview people. I'm quite glad they stopped doing that because the show is significantly better when they don't, but it is fun in your rewatch to go back and see them like have these sort of like talk directly to camera, like almost like in When Harry Met Sally, those kind of moments. And it's, uh, it's just funny that they did that and then just completely abandoned it, but kept with the show. Interesting, but the sixth season, the sixth season feels different because they're clearly like tying up loose ends and everyone's storyline gets really deep, really suddenly. And I appreciate this. I do quite like this because like I said, these characters are multifaceted and they're not just these archetypes and they give them more to deal with. But it does feel like, especially in the final two episodes, like we've lost some of what the show was originally about in order to have these like heftier, weightier plot lines. And I like all of those plot lines. I actually love the cancer plot line. Not because I love cancer, obviously, but because it feels very real. Up until now, we have dealt with relationship drama. And that can be deep, that can be hard. We have a divorce, we have a called off engagement, we have a baby out of wedlock. Like those are some some big relationship moments. It's not all just like, he didn't call me back, which is also big. Like I've been, we've all been there. Like when you're not getting called back, that does feel like the end of the world. I think up until this last season, we've we've mostly dealt with that. There is one episode where Charlotte, where Miranda's mom dies and we deal with death a little bit. And I find that one to be very powerful as well because we're painting a world for these characters 
outside of just their dating life. Um, and then Charlotte's, Charlotte's journey to getting a baby, I think it is the deepest storyline we have up until cancer. And I don't know, it, it just feels right to me that these four women who are best friends would have to deal with something in the friend group that is that difficult and challenging. And I like that they gave it to Samantha because to be honest, one, she's the only one who could handle it emotionally because she is the strongest of all four of those women by far. Two, they don't give her very many meaningful storylines throughout. Carrie obviously gets the biggest, most meaningful storylines. Charlotte actually gets quite a lot of them. And I think that's because of just like the nature of, of her archetype. Um, and Miranda gets Brady, Steve, that whole thing. She has the, the dead mom. Like Miranda definitely gets moments. We see Miranda outside of a relationship more than we see any of the other characters. I feel like every other character in every episode has a guy that they're doing something with. And Miranda often does too. That's the premise of the show. But there are more plot lines around Miranda's life outside of dating, I think, than the others in a more real way. Samantha mostly just gets the sex plot lines, right? Like the biggest plot line she's had up until then, I really feel like is having to be tested for STDs. And I think the fact that they gave her the cancer plot line and we got to see her deal with something in a really human way. There are so few moments where we see Samantha bring her guard down. Um, we do throughout the series, but it's fewer and farther between. And I just find it really powerful. So at this end plot line, you have Samantha dealing with having cancer. You have Miranda now taking in Steve's mom who has Alzheimer's and learning to take care of a woman that she doesn't particularly like, but she loves because she loves Steve. And you have Charlotte and Harry finally getting their baby. And then you have Carrie in France. But those three plot lines, I'm gonna step aside from Carrie for a second, are the deepest plot lines I think we get in the whole series. And they are about relationships still because in no small part, Miranda's storyline with Steve's mom is all about her relationship with Steve. Charlotte and Harry are going through this together and it's about their relationship. And Samantha, a big part of her cancer storyline is Smith and her being able to open up to him and realize that she loves him and what that means for her. So it is still what the show intended. And of course, all of those, we see the friends coming together in those moments. So it's still about the friendship. Carrie, on the other hand, goes to Paris. It baffles me that a show that is so much about New York, New York is the fifth main character in this show. It is personified throughout. Carrie has said, yes, she says her friends are her soulmate, but at other times she says New York is her boyfriend. New York is her one true love. Like this is a show about New York City in a way that very few shows are. In fact, many shows about New York City aren't even freaking shot in New York City. Look at Friends, another favorite of mine, but that's a soundstage. This show, the heartbeat, the pulse, the living, breathing nature of New York City is a main character. And then for the last two episodes, they're like, and we're gonna send her to France. Now look, I get it. I get that we are able to see how much Carrie is New York and how much she loves New York by her being away from it. But I really hate that those are the last two episodes because she should be having her final rendezvous 
for us as an audience with New York City, her biggest love affair. And I get that her leaving is monumental. I get that then we get the moment of her coming back. The fact that her and Big reunite in Paris also annoys me. They are a New York couple through and through. Paris is where he met Natasha. Like, I just, I don't know why they took her to Paris. I really don't. And and in rewatching it this time, I was particularly like, wow, this is really how they're going to end this thing. With our last two episodes having her walking around the streets of France. It just, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me, but we do get a beautiful ending. Uh, I guess I, it's hard. The more I watch the series, it is hard for me to root for Mr. Big. In some ways, I think they're perfect for each other because to be honest, neither of them are ever that great at being in a relationship. I love Carrie deeply. I think she is charming and adorable and wonderful, but she is not a very good girlfriend to many people. Big is also like a pretty awful boyfriend. I think they're toxic for each other. So it's hard for me to root for Mr. Big. And then, you know, even in the movie, he's so unlikable again and she ends up with him. Look, if Carrie was my friend, I would say delete his number, okay? Also, the reveal at the end that his name is John, like you just picked the most basic name you could find. Like you were just like, what is the most popular guy's name? Of course, it's a freaking J name. Like that, I'm also like, you waited six seasons to reveal his name. Make it something interesting, John. But he is a John, you know, he really is. Anyway, that brings me to the fun of this episode, which is I want to rank all of the boyfriends in Sex and the City. Now, my criteria for this was that they actually had to be boyfriends, not just like one-off guys who appear in one episode. And even there's a couple guys that appear in like two, like um, John Slatterly uh, as the politician. I think he appears in a couple, but he doesn't have like a meaningful story arc really. So I went through like the big relationships for all, for all four girls. Um, I did stick to boyfriends, so I did not include Maria. Although she is kind of toxic, I will say, when she like throws the plates, like not great behavior. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go through my ranking and it was challenging, but here we go. So I, I counted 11 meaningful boyfriends and coming in at 11, bottom of the barrel, dead last is Richard Wright. What a freaking asshole this guy is. Okay, like he just, Everything, I hate the way he talks. I hate the way he smiles. I hate the way he treats Samantha. I mean, he cheats on her multiple, multiple times. He has someone else buying her her gifts. He breaks her heart again and again and again. And then when she's finally happy with Smith, he comes in and she cheats on him. And then Smith, like, Richard Wright sucks. It's awful. There's, like, I don't think anyone is going to deny me on that. He's in last place. At number 10, Jack Berger. Let me tell you, it was very hard for me to not put Jack Berger in last place, especially in rewatching it. I'm like, oh, this guy is awful. He's insecure. He's jealous. He breaks up with her on a post-it. Although I will say the post-it is my favorite line in the entire series, is the episode where Carrie gets broken up with and Charlotte gets engaged. And at the end of the brunch, at the beginning of the episode, Charlotte is like, everything happens for a reason. If I didn't get divorced, I wouldn't have met my divorce lawyer and I wouldn't have gotten engaged. And she puts her hand out on the table and then Carrie takes the post-it and she's like, 
paper covers rock. I think that is the most brilliant line in the series. I love that moment. But beyond that, Jack Berger just sucks. He's he's awful. And he's like, you know, he's cute. And they like, even at the beginning, the fact that they like basically go on a first date and then like at the end of the date, he's like, by the way, my girlfriend. Um, then they have no chemistry in bed, which also sucks. Then he's just jealous and misogynistic and can't be kind to Carrie. He's kind of awful to her friends. He just, buy burger, no one's gonna miss you. And then coming in at nine right above him, but also just like a terrible, terrible boyfriend is Alexander Petrovsky. Look, I love Barishnikov, and it breaks my heart to have to put him so low at the list as an actor. But this relationship, the whole thing, like first of all, Carrie being with an artist feels wrong. But then Carrie getting like icked out by him being romantic also feels wrong. He's like older and rude and condescending and cold. He brings her to Paris and then he totally abandons her. She, when she doesn't go to her party, it just breaks my heart. I Honestly, he should be last because he slaps her, which is like unacceptable, like not okay at all. And I can't believe sometimes that they kept that in, that that is part of the story. Like that is kind of wild to me that that makes it in. I, I just, Richard Wright, I think is worse than Petrovsky and I just don't like Berger, but maybe Petrovsky should be worse than Berger. I don't know. There's, there's not much redeemable about Petrovsky minus the episode where he gets her the Oscar De La Renta dress and then they dance in McDonald's. Like that's a very cute moment, but he's awful. And like when they have the dinner party and he's so, I feel the secondhand discomfort of that dinner party. Okay. Those are the real bad guys. That's like my absolute, like, these guys suck. Now we're into the sort of, the next three I think are like mid-range, like they kind of suck, they don't totally suck. Number eight is gonna be Robert, and that's the doctor for the Knicks that Miranda dates. He like lives in her building. And the reason he's number eight, he's actually a great boyfriend. I like him, he's sweet, he's sexy, he's like, tells her he loves her on a cookie, like how fun is that? And then when they break up, and granted, granted, Miranda is not super kind to him in the breakup, but she ends up with her son's father, the true love of her life. Like, he has no grace in that breakup, and he's really icky in the breakup. So that's why he ends up there. But I do like his character. Um, number seven, strictly middle of the pack, is where I put Big. I, I don't like Big. I don't. I don't think he's I don't think he's very good at anything, frankly. Um he's a jerk. He's awful to Carrie. He then cheats on his wife with Carrie. He leaves her at the altar. I know I'm not talking about the film, but he leaves her at the altar. Like Big is is toxic. He is the worst boyfriend ever and he does have this radar. She says it when she's about to go to Paris and granted we know she needs to be saved for Paris, but it's like every time she's happy, he just like swoops in and is like you can't be happy now. And it's like, cool, got it. Um, I don't like Big. I don't like Carrie and Big. I think Carrie and Aiden, not to give away what I'm going to, but Carrie and Aiden, that's the real couple, except I think Aiden maybe deserves better than her. Anyway, that's Big. Coming in at number six, Trey McDougal. Trey is complicated because I don't think Trey is a bad guy. 
he's just kind of like a paper cutout of a guy, you know? He just like, he has some high moments where you're like, wow, this is nice. I love that he ends up standing up for Charlotte at the end when he's like, Charlotte was a wonderful wife, give her the apartment. I think he tries his best, but he's just like under his mother's spell. Bunny McDougal, now that's a villain. I put her at the bottom. Trey is just like this sort of like useless dude that just like wanders about and Charlotte fell in love with him for the wrong reasons. And in the end, yes, she has to go through a divorce, which is very hard for her. And he makes some bad choices with his mother and stuff. But like in the end, he's kind of harmless. Okay, now we're into my top five. This is where it got a little hard because I love all five of these men very dearly. And yeah, this was hard for me. At number five is actually Aiden. I know. And I, I was surprised to see Aiden come in this low for me because I love Aiden. But I do think he has some like kind of not so good qualities like he doesn't trust Carrie. He really tries to push her into the marriage. I, Carrie is awful to Aiden. I think we can be clear. Like she cheats on him repeatedly. Um, she says yes to marry him when she doesn't want to marry him. She is so mean to him when she goes to his cabin. Like I already talked about, like I kind of get why he's kind of mm, to her. And then when he makes her buy the apartment and does that without like talking to her about it, that is like super not cool energy but other than that like I think he tries to be a really good boyfriend he's very loving he's very caring he's a good guy there's a sweetness to Aiden I get why they couldn't work out together but I blame her at number four is Steve I love Steve I love Steve so much and again I don't consider the movies and everything that's going on now to be canon like Steve in the original series is just, he loves Miranda and he takes her for what she is. And that is something that I don't think the guys that I have already mentioned, even the ones who were good, like Trey and Aiden, for example, I think where those two go wrong is that like, they are trying to change the woman that they love to just like be okay, be okay without a baby, be okay with marrying me. And it's like, whoa, Steve follows Miranda's lead. He's like, I just love you and I want to be with you and I'll take it at whatever speed you need and we're in this together. He's a good dad. He's charming. He's cute. He ends up, you know, being driven. He's sweet. He just loves her. You know, he doesn't have this like baggage. Steve is amazing. Number three is also a Miranda guy. Believe it or not, I put Skipper in at number three. And I know some of you guys are gonna be like, oh my God, I forgot Skipper existed. Skipper is so sweet. Now look, would I date Skipper? Probably, he's just like so unbelievably awkward and uncomfortable, but he also means well, and he's a romantic at heart. And like, you can't put him any lower than that because there is not a bad quality to Skipper. He's just not the right guy for any of our women. Our women would like completely just like chew him up and spit him out, like eat him alive. You know, he he just, he can't hang with these girls in a way that a Steve can while still being sweet, but I love Skipper. And then my number one and two, ooh, picking who got to be one and two between these two men was incredibly hard. But at number two, Harry Goldenblatt, I love Harry so much. He's just the best. He's funny, he's kind, he cares about Charlotte. 
She's also kind of bad to him when she yells at him. I think he's, he can, you know, he, he doesn't, I, I put him second because I got like really annoyed at him in that Seder too, when he was watching the Mets game. And then like, he leaves her. I get why he leaves her. What she said was very mean, but I think he leaves her for a little too long. But other than that, he is just perfect. And the way that he deals with all of the like pregnancy stuff is really, I just love them. And I love them as a couple. They're so right for each other. He's exactly what Charlotte needed to like bring her down to earth a little bit and remind her what love is actually about. And I love their relationship. But at number one, the best boyfriend on Sex and the City, Smith Jared. Man, I love Smith. He is, he's perfect. He really is. And he loves Samantha so unconditionally. He never tries to change her. He understands who she is. He gives her space. He takes her back after she cheats on him without like, sometimes I'm like, you should have said something, but he just loves her and he's there with her through cancer and he never lets fame go to his head. He's also so gorgeous. Um, he's, he's just perfect. And I, I, you know, it was really hard to choose between Smith and Harry, but I think Smith just shows a bit more He's a little bit more of a rock for Samantha because Samantha needed it more because of the way that her storyline went and and the own, I've talked about this, but like her own, you know, battles that she needed to overcome. Um, but Smith and Harry, either one of them, just like the two best men ever. So in the end, I think at the end of the series, we have Smith, Harry, Steve as the guys that those women end up with. And I'm so happy with them. And Carrie ends up with big, which is what she wanted all along. I don't want it for her. I wish in a more enlightened world, she could have realized she could have done so much better. Um, and even if Aiden wasn't the guy for her, she could have found someone who loved her in the same way that Aiden loved her. And I understand that big loved her, but he came with too many, too many strings attached in my opinion. But regardless, I might not be a fan of Mr. Big, but I am such a big fan. See what I did there of the show. It's meant a lot to me. I think also, I'm sure everyone loves the show, but if you live in New York, they portray New York in a pretty real way, minus freaking Fleet Week. They really do. Like watching them go around New York and seeing how New York can beat you down, but also lift you back up and just how much they love it feels very real to me. And it reminds me of my experiences with my friends. So this ended up being a much longer episode than I planned for because I just have a lot to say about Sex and the City, but... I'm probably gonna start rewatching it again in a couple of months because I just love having it on. I love hearing Carrie's voice. I love hearing her say, I couldn't help but wonder. So I'm gonna rewatch it. I'm still a Charlotte. I'll always be a Charlotte. And I take pride in that. I like being a Charlotte. Anyway, that's my show. This was Just Like Other Girls. I'm Shannon Fiedler. The show is now also on YouTube. If you'd like to watch it instead of just listening to it, you can follow me there. I am at Shannon Fiedler 13, same as all my other social handles. So go like, subscribe, and interact with the show there, or continue listening wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, I'm Shannon Fiedler, and this was Just Like Other Girls.